this morning on my title. Um, they are do beautiful deeds like Jesus is what I want to talk about this morning. Um, I, I shared uh, the title with my grandson yesterday, and he thought he thought it was lovely. So here we go. Do beautiful deeds like Jesus. We're a sent people, as uh, uh, Neil just reminded us. Early in January, Pam and I went to our, one of our favourite coffee shops. And old pensioners like us spend most of their money in coffee shops, just to uh, uh, reassure any of you who are not of that generation. And uh, we saw an old uh, friend of hers, who she hadn't seen for a while, and she was clearly celebrating something. Uh, they were having a lovely cream tea in the corner with some other ladies. Can you turn me down slightly, Julian? I'm beginning to whistle a bit. Um, and um, anyway, uh, after a, a while, she came over to us, um, uh, recognised us, and we thought she was celebrating a big birthday because she's the same age as Pam and their birthdays are close together. And we're saying, are you having a birthday celebration? She said no, and then in a very whispered voice, she said, actually, I'm celebrating the fact that I got recognised in the New Year's honours list. She's, we know she's done wonderful work in our community over the years, I won't bore you with any details. But she was embarrassed. She didn't really want anybody else to hear about it, because she was genuinely humble, and I mean that. She wasn't putting this on for effect. She knows Pam very well, and Pam would see through her. They've been friends for years. But she hadn't strived for it. She hadn't sought it. She hadn't shown any ambition for it. She wasn't looking for recognition or status. And then, out of the blue, she got invited to have this honour. And I think this was a reflection of the opposite to the culture we live in which is a celebrity culture. It is, let's look for fame and recognition and status. It's been described as the cult of celebrity. In a survey, survey of millennials, 50% indicated that a major life goal for them was to be famous. Madonna said, I won't be happy until I'm as famous as God. What a terrible statement. I won't be happy until I'm as famous as God. You see, fame to the ambitious is like salt water to the thirsty. Totally contradictory this is, though, to the teachings and lifestyle demonstrated by Jesus. If you want to make the most of your lives, our current culture says... Look for fame and recognition. Jesus says in Mark 8, and I'm reading through Mark at the moment, so I'll be quoting quite a lot. If anyone would come after me, he must, what must he do? Deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. Notice the gospel. I'm going to come back to that in a minute. What good is it for a man or a woman to gain the whole world, yet forfeit his or her soul? 
Or what can a man or woman give in exchange for his soul? Jesus explains the paradox that to make the most of your life, you have to give it away. Say that again. To make the most of your life, you've got to give it away. Abandon your life to his service and the gospel. That's the Jesus way. A bit radical, a bit revolutionary, a bit counter-cultural, isn't it? Yet, we see how it works in practice. Those who seek their own satisfaction end up how? Disillusioned and unfulfilled. I've met quite a few rich people, not that I know them, in my life, and I don't think I've met a happy one yet. I've met millionaires, I've met a few billionaires, particularly in business, not fulfilled, not happy. So we need to recognise that this is the lifestyle teaching of Jesus. Those who follow Jesus do what? Find life in all its fullness. That's what I want. Even at 77, I still want to live the rest of my life enjoying the fullness of life in Jesus. So, where we go from here? The disciples had heard Jesus' teachings and they didn't understand it. Or they hadn't caught it. Or it hadn't sunk in. Because if you read later on in Mark, they were caught arguing amongst themselves. And uh, their argument was, who was the greatest? And Jesus had been teaching them about this whole thing of the upside down kingdom. They hadn't caught it, they hadn't brought into it yet. And Jesus says, if anyone wants to be first, he must be the very last. And listen to this, and the servant of all. Next occasion in Mark, not much farther on, James and John request that they can sit either side of Jesus in his glory. And if you remember, I think it's in Matthew, mum was involved as well. And what does Jesus say to them? Whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. doesn't leave it there, though. He concludes by saying, he himself didn't come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. That's the upside-down kingdom of the servant king, Jesus. He wants us to recognise that he came to serve and give his life. And he wants us to recognise that if we follow him, we won't necessarily get any status, recognition or fame. In fact, we probably won't. But we will be following the path and footsteps of the servant king. A much better way, a life that's full of fulfilment and life in all its fullness. Jim Carrey, the famous Hollywood actor, said, I think everyone should get rich and famous and do everything they dreamed of so they can see that it's not the answer. I pause for a moment. So Jesus, the servant king, calls us to follow him. I love that old Graham Kendrick song. 
about the servant king. We sang it at Life Group recently. He wants us to live the upside-down world, the upside-down servant culture. And he wants us to be fulfilled and enjoy life in all its fullness. So that's my introduction. You have a choice. Everybody has a choice to live for themselves and to live for fame, status, or you have the choice of living the servant king way, which is to give your life away, but enjoy life as he designed it for us in all its fullness. I know what my choice is. And this morning Jesus comes and he offers us all that choice. How did Jesus demonstrate it? How did Jesus in his life (coughs) demonstrate this servant lifestyle? Well, the first thing is he did good. And if you read Acts 10 up there, I don't know if it's, is that the right verse? Yes, 38, there we are. Peter was in Cornelius' house and preaching a sermon and he said how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. He went around doing good. So the call of those who follow the servant king is to go around doing good. John Wimber, in his own inimitable style, said, Jesus went around doing the stuff. Jesus went around doing the stuff. I want to highlight one thing in that verse. What happened first? God anointed him with the Holy Spirit. And this morning, on two occasions, I'm going to just highlight this whole thing of being anointed with the Holy Spirit. A lot of people are doing good and it's commendable. But as Christians and followers of the Servant King, we need to make sure that we've got the right focus given to us by the Holy Spirit. You can be one of these people who throws into everything. Throw your life at everything but it isn't necessarily Holy Spirit anointed I've got a lot of very sincere Christian friends who I'm not sure that everything they have done has always been Holy Spirit led so the first question is we need to say Holy Spirit direct me guide me and lead me as you did Jesus into doing good the things that you want me to do. That's the first thing. Now this word do-gooder hasn't got a particularly good uh, (coughs) uh, sort of reputation, has it, in our uh, culture. In fact, it's often a term of insult. People use it as disparagingly, a word of contempt. But Jesus, and all the way through (coughs) the Epistles, we are encouraged to do good. Paul writes to Titus, remind the people to be ready to do whatever is good and to devote themselves to 
doing whatever is good. The passion says, passionately devoted to beautiful works of righteousness. Why? Paul, in encouraging them to do good, says, it's because we have enjoyed, we have been touched, we have experienced God's kindness and love for us. We do it. That's our motivation. That was Jesus' motivation, his love for us and love for people. And because God has saved us, God has given us new life. He's given us life in all its fullness. He's shown us, as it says in Ephesians, extravagant mercy. We should, therefore, show and express this kindness and love for others in recognition of what he's done for us. Again, in that Ephesians verse, it talks about the Holy Spirit poured out on us generously. So again, I just want to underline, we do what the Holy Spirit leads and enables and empowers us to do. John Wesley said this, and somebody put it on Facebook in the last week or so that I know quite well. I thought, they're trying to pinch my sermon. Do all the good you can, in all the ways you can, in all the places you can, at all the times you can. To all the people you can, as long as you can. And Galatians says, in writing to uh, the Christians, he says, don't get tired of doing good. Don't get weary in doing good. Keep going. And now comes a really practical bit. I'm going to do some poking and provoking this morning because Hebrews 10, the writer of the Hebrews, writes to Christians under quite a lot of pressure, persecuted Christians, but he says this. Consider, let us consider how we may spur, a bit of an old-fashioned word, provoke, stir up, activate one another on towards love and good deeds. It's a strong word in the Greek. I don't know much Greek, as you know, but paraxomos. It's all about provocation. I want to provoke you, and I pray that God will provoke me into considering God's call on us to good works. I've called it doing beautiful things, beautiful deeds like Jesus, And Mark, on one occasion, uh, tells how Jesus healed a deaf and dumb man. And it says that the people, this is uh, in Mark's Gospel, were overwhelmed with amazement. And they said, he has done everything well. He's done everything well. And that word, everything well, is the Greek word kalos. Beauty. In other words, you could translate it, he has done everything beautifully. Jesus did and lived a life of beautiful good works. So my first point this morning, and I've taken quite a long time over that, and that's your fault, Neil, um, <laughs> seriously, is that this kingdom life 
in following the servant king were called to good works. But good works that are directed, led by the Holy Spirit. Okay? I know lots of churches who have wonderful programs and I'm not knocking, but I do sometimes say, are they trying to do too much rather than are they doing what the Holy Spirit wants them to do? May we not fall into that trap. The second thing that uh, Jesus demonstrated and wants us to demonstrate is compassion. Those of you who know us, we have a very strategic location. Our house overlooks the whole of the road. So I can sit literally in my settee and I can look right down the road and see what's going on. Some people think I'm nosy. Some of you will remember a friend of ours who uh, <coughs> is still around uh, called Chris Walker. And he used to tease me unmercifully about the fact that I used to sit and be nosy looking out my window. But do you know, Pam and I were talking the other day, and you'll see where I'm coming from here. In the last few weeks, we've seen four funerals just in that short stretch of road. Only one of the people do we know personally, but four funeral uh, cortages in the last few weeks. And we were just paranoid, just saying, it drew us out in compassion, a sense of compassion, you know, in a short street, the number of people who were bereaved and had lost loved ones in a very short time. God wants us to be a people of compassion. Jesus boarded a boat went to try and find a quiet location for, for a rest up and it came uh, to an interesting conclusion because when he got to the other side of the lake they'd beaten him there all the uh, people and he walked or disembarked to a crowd and it says this Jesus looked at them and had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd and so it says he began teaching them many things that word there for compassion is the strongest word in the Greek language for pity or for compassion Jesus it says in the message which I think is a good translation of it his heart broke as he looked on these people. Do we sometimes find that we look out on situations, on people, and our heart breaks? So compassion is absolutely essential. You see, the servant king was never self-seeking or self-serving. He always had time for people. I'll say that again. He always had time for people. He got off the boat, absolutely, dare I say it, knackered. He wanted a rest. And what happens? He looks out with compassion and starts teaching them. And then what does he do after it? He feeds the 5,000. This is the servant king who's always got time for compassion and for serving and giving. 
Paul says in 2 Corinthians, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. That last verse, the message says, He comes alongside us when we go through hard times. And before you know it, he brings us alongside someone else who is going through hard times so that we can be there for that person just as God was there for us. Is God drawing you alongside somebody at this time, this moment, who's going through tough, hard situations? Is God calling you to show them compassion and comfort, just as he's shown it to you in many situations? Ephesians tells us God is rich in mercy. That word also means compassion, pity and clemency. So having experienced God's mercy in saving us, we're called to express and display compassion to others. Point two, good works we're called to as following the servant king, we're called to compassion. And those of you who actually did <coughs> hear what, that reading about Hebrews 10, it says, spur one another on not just to good works, but also to love. And I can't uh, finish without mentioning us. There's loads of lettuces in the Hebrew passage. I've heard sermons on the lettuces. Let us encourage one another. Let us not give up hope. Another one is, let us spur one another on to love and good, de- good deeds. They're inextricably linked. You can't do good works without firstly experiencing and showing and sharing love. And it starts at home. Literally in the family, of course, but it starts in the Christian family and community, in the church. We're called to be people that display love and express good works in our lives together. As you probably know, some of you, we've had a rough winter, Pam and I. We've both been sick on and off ever since Christmas. And she's not, Pam's not well today again. And um, we've experienced love and good works from our life group. We know what it is to be loved and to be shown good works. I had people ringing me from Sainsbury's saying, do you want a shopping? Another one from Tesco's, Margaret Broadbent. We had somebody turn up on the first Sunday when we were had chest infections and weren't well enough to go out, they turned up with a mixture of lovely things and practical things. Cough sweets, paracetamol and some flowers. This is where it starts, in the community of God, where we express love and good works. But then we're called to move out into our community. 
John says, let us not love with words or tongue, but with our actions and in truth. Out there is a world that is crying out for good deeds. I uh, had a conversation with a lady this week and she said, is the world going mad? What's happened to this world that we live in? And she wasn't somebody who, you know, not a politician or anything like that. She wasn't making any political point. She was just saying she couldn't understand what was going on. And as the song says, there's a world outside this window. Don't let it pass you by. And I believe that we need to uh, be aware and led by the Holy Spirit to give and share good deeds, compassion and love for these people. The lonely, desperately lonely people out there. And that's why I, I believe the coffee shop will be busy with people who are looking for contact because they're so lonely. Mother Teresa says, loneliness and the feeling of being uncared for and unwanted are the greatest poverty. There's the bereaved. I've talked about four families just within stone throw of my house being bereaved recently. Those struggling with physical and mental health problems. Those with genuine material problems. Those who can't pay the bills with homelessness, relationship issues. I could go on. Are we sensitive to the Holy Spirit as it calls and directs us in this area? In case there's any, I don't know everybody here, although I know most of you this morning. Is anybody here who doesn't know the servant king? And what I'm talking about doesn't really make sense. I just need to say, if you don't know him personally, he wants to introduce himself to you. And one of the things that Jesus said was, <clears throat> he called us to uh, not just only in his uh, description to the uh, uh, disciples, he said, loses his life for me and for the gospel, for the good news. And we here are people who have experienced the life-changing good news that Jesus brought. And he calls us to have beautiful feet. To do beautiful deeds, but have beautiful feet. I'm going to quote to you a very famous scripture from Isaiah 52. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news. Who preach and proclaim salvation. We need to be a people who not only do good deeds, beautiful deeds, but proclaim the good news. The beautiful news of the gospel. So, beautiful deeds and beautiful feet. And if you don't know this servant king this morning, I just want you to know he loves you. We sung a couple of songs about it this morning. Not only does he love you, he abounds in love for you. And he loves you as if you were the only one
So do you know him? If not, please ask and talk to say Neil or somebody else about what it is to know the servant king personally and live this upside down life which is life in all its fullness. And finally, I'd like to put up a banner, not literally but metaphorically, across my house, across this church, across this community which says from Numbers 10 verse 29, come with us and we will do you good. Come with us and we will treat you well, it says in the NIV. This needs to be a place where people know that we will do them good. I know a church, oh actually that was their motto, that was what they had outside their church on a massive banner for many years. Come with us and we will do you good. Do you want to be part of a community that actually advertises come with us and we will do you good finally an old friend of ours has published his poems Pete Stanley if you'd like to um, have a copy of this you can buy one via Elizabeth Jackson but the reason I'm plugging this is not only would I like you to read it But he's got one particular poem in here which he calls The Way. And I'll just read you part of it. I'm not going to read it all. I am the way, the truth and the life. That's what Jesus said. And it's the answer to the question, questions in my head. The compass for the way ahead. When I feel I've been taken in by fake news and popular views and what the critics say, I can focus my vision on Jesus, who is the pathway, the roadway, the better way, and the higher way. So if you'd like a copy of that, see Elizabeth. Well, I hope I've stimulated you this morning. Have I spurred you? Have I provoked you? If not, I've failed, but that was my purpose this morning. I've had this word on my heart. For many, many months. I've shared a lot of it with a life group and apologise. They may have heard some of it before. But God wants a people who are following the servant king in all his ways and what he demonstrated. And to be people who display good works, who have compassion, who love people and are those that want others to come And know what it is to have good done to them. So I'm going to finish with a prayer. If you really can identify with us this morning, I want you to stand. It's going to be a two-line prayer, okay? But it's very, very challenging if we actually say it to God. Would you like to say it after me? Lord, please fill me today with the Holy Spirit. So that I may bring life 
love, love. Unity, unity, and healing wherever I go. Amen? That's... Thank you, Brian. Thank you so much, Brian. We have our family lunch after the service today. If you didn't know that and you